Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, the sports editor of the Providence Journal. I'm in downtown Providence with our Red Sox beat writer, Bill Koch. Bill, how's it going? Bill, it's going great, actually. We're uh, we're getting into what should be a really fun part of the season here over the next 10 games. Well, uh, this weekend it should be uh, a great series. This is an ALCS rematch with the Houston Astros. Um, the Red Sox have uh, turned the ship around, or righted the ship, uh, if you'd like. They are uh, 23 and 20. They are four games out of first place behind Tampa Bay. Um, eight and two, I believe, in their last 10. Um, and the Houston Astros, uh, as you might expect, are in first place in the West, 29 and 15. Uh, and these are the two teams that uh, faced off to represent the American League last year, and I'm sure it will be um, it will be a great contest again. Yeah, there are so many storylines here when the Red Sox play the Astros, starting with the ALCS rematch. Uh, obviously, Alex Cora was the bench coach on the World Champions in 2017 with Houston. Uh, you look at the individual talent on each team; both rosters are, are absolutely loaded. Uh, you go back to April 29th. This is courtesy of the Red Sox earlier today. Uh, Boston and Houston are 1-2 in the majors in win percentage, run differential, runs per game, on-base percentage, home runs per game. Wow. So two very talented teams, two teams that everyone expects to be there in October who are firing on all cylinders right now. Uh, and the Red Sox face Houston in Houston not too long from now, right? That's next weekend. Right. Uh, Boston has a seven-game road swing after this weekend. Uh, they go to Toronto for four games starting on Monday, mm-hmm. and then they're in Houston for three uh, starting next Friday. So it should be a really entertaining stretch here at baseball for the Red Sox uh, and, and a really good measuring stick for Boston to see if this turnaround has some roots and, right. and if they're going to be able to extend it uh, going into June and into the summertime. Yeah, Houston is always a tough test. Such a such a solid team, a complete team up and down the lineup. They're uh, they're without Altuve for a little bit here. With uh, he's on the uh, the injured list again. Very good, you got it. <laughs> uh, but still a very formidable foe, uh, and they usually uh, great games to watch. Uh, and the last two games that you were at, uh, you ended up staying a little longer than expected, didn't you? Yeah, a little late. Uh, extra innings, both games against the Rockies. Uh, first night. Boston wasted a, a historic pitching performance by Chris Sale. There's really no other way to say it. 17 strikeouts, and he just looked, uh, you know, except for that one mistake, he looked unhittable. Uh, and then the second night, uh, Boston able to walk it off on Colorado, uh, a walk-off single by Michael Chavis, whose legend continues to grow here. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's hit on the uh, the Chris Sale uh, outing first. Um, you know, uh, it, it almost seems now that uh, you know when he gets through an inning or two, and, and 
I want to say he struck out the first six batters he faced, if that's correct. Correct. So now, you know, you're on perfect game and and no hitter watch uh, immediately. And wasn't this the same guy that we were all saying, what's wrong with Chris Sale? (laughs) And now we're upset if he doesn't throw a perfect game. As you jokingly said on last week's podcast, uh, you know, we're going to get to the point where people are going to say, well, let's shut him down. You know, let's reel in Chris Sale. We're there. We're already there. We're already there. (laughs) It's not the end of May. We're already there. We got a fake DL or fake IL him. Fake IL him. <laughs> for for a couple of starts, but um, yeah, just a tremendous performance. He he had uh, location, he had velocity. Obviously, he, he let up that one home run, uh, but struck out seventeen. And and then you know, just you could see it coming. I think that that night that that the the bullpen just couldn't hang on. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was really unfortunate considering the way that Sale pitched. Uh, you know, historic performance, as I said, uh, seventeen strikeouts. There's only one Red Sox pitcher who struck out more batters in a game. That's Roger Clemens. He struck right. out twice, 20, twice, yeah. uh, nineteen eighty six against the Mariners at home, and then nineteen ninety six at Detroit. Um, you know, and those were games where I think Clemens threw one hundred thirty eight pitches against Seattle in a complete game, and I want to say he was around one fifty right. against Detroit. And what was Sale's pitch count when they, when they removed him? It was like 1-0-something. 1-0-8. Right. right. Um, yeah, I think it was the third or the fourth straight start. He's gone over 100 pitches. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was joking in the tunnel with Alex Cora after the seventh inning. He said, well, you're not going to let me try to go get 20? Well, I think it was probably half joking, you know. Half joking. Because uh, yes. you you got you to gotta think that if a pitcher has 17 strikeouts and, you know, he's he's still under 110 pitches, you know, maybe you'll let him go out and, and face a few more batters now which now that seems silly in today's in today's uh game um and considering the Red Sox like to kind of ease sail into the season and don't want to waste the bullets right it didn't make any sense but you know part of me was was kind of rooting for that bill I was like you know let him go out there and, and let's see you know if he strikes out you know two of the next three batters just just keep him in there and see see what happens but you know obviously that's why Alex Cora is the manager and I'm not well there was Probably that, that and many other reasons. But. You, well, I was going to say, you, you look at the last manager of the Red Sox, John Farrell, in the last season that he had Chris Sale, which was in 2017, Sale went, uh, got to 300 strikeouts, I think it was in his last start at Baltimore um, that season, and I want to say it was in the sixth or the seventh inning, uh, and you're looking at it and you're thinking, this guy's got a pitch in the playoffs. Yeah. Farrell's got him out there to get a personal milestone. Right. There was almost a feeling that Farrell, who was a pitcher, was living vicariously through Sale in a way. Maybe, you know, his yeah. ability was so great that he managed him in a certain way. Um, Cora hasn't done that. He's constantly talked about we need to be disciplined and we need to rein him in and you know we need him in October. Um, you remember the Red Sox won the World Series last year without much of a contribution from Chris Sale no, in the postseason. Uh, no, I mean, he was, on the, he was on the mound for the final out, but yeah, he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't exactly an iron horse in, in the playoffs. And so you, you want this version of the guy, um, you know, who we've seen the last four or five starts, you want him out there yep. uh, in a postseason game. And, you know, I think Cora's looking at it, and it's a, a three to two game after Sale gives up the home run to Nolan Arenado. Um, a one-run game is a lot more stressful than a three-run game. Uh, you know, if if the Sox were up three nothing, Cora said he he was going to entertain the idea of maybe letting him go back out there, maybe pulling him on the first base runner. Right. Um, you know, but the circumstances changed, and Sale, being Sale, blamed himself. Which, <laughs> you know, as I wrote for uh, I think it was for Wednesday's Journal. That's part of the reason why the Red Sox felt so comfortable in giving him the contract extension. It went beyond 
his physical health. Yeah. It's about his leadership qualities, his accountability, the fact that he just had this amazing start where he gave up three hits, seven Colorado players put the ball in play right. all night. And here's Chris Sale blaming himself because of the timing of the home run he gave up by Arenado mm. and the fact that he let the Rockies back into the game in the seventh inning. Yeah. It's ludicrous. When when you're standing there on the outside, it's ludicrous for you him to say out, such a You struck thing. out 17 guys. You, you left with the lead. You know, it's not your fault. <laughs> but, but this is, in terms of the standards that Chris Sale sets for himself, this gives you a, a, a bit of insight into just how high the bar is and, and how good he expects to be every time he takes the ball. Well, fortunately, the Red Sox were able to bounce back uh, in that second game of that, uh, that brief two-game series against the Rockies. Um, uh, uh, extra innings affair again. again. Uh, this time they came out on the, the right side of it. Um, and they're starting to look like that team again, Bill. You know that you don't think there's going to be too long of a skid. They're, the bats are coming around. The pitching looks pretty solid. You know the bullpen is still a little bit trick or treat for me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, hopefully, hopefully that that kind of irons itself out. Who knows? Maybe they'll add another arm somewhere along the way here. Uh, but uh, you know, they are looking much more like a team that you can see going deep into October. And uh, one of the nice surprises on that team, and and we've talked about him uh, every week and we're going to continue this week, is Michael Chavis, who is uh, firmly uh, planted in that lineup uh, this season so far. Uh, Boy, he just uh, had to walk off the other night, and uh, he he seems to, to do no wrong these days. Yeah, the kid has a little something, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He's got he's got some kind of I don't know. Flair for the dramatic is the way uh, to describe him. But you know, when he hits a home run, it's usually a, it's a no doubter. Oh yeah, and uh, and uh, he's been holding his own defensively as well. He's um, he's a breath of fresh air in, in a clubhouse that you know isn't stuffy. They're not tight, but right. they are veterans. They're very business like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of sort of you know soft spoken guys in there, like Mookie Betts isn't. You know, rah rah and outgoing and whatever else. Uh, JD Martinez the same. Um, you know, those guys aren't going to be, you know, the sort of like Kevin Millar, you know, David Ortiz, like right. big loud presences off the walls. Chavis, if you were if you were to imagine him as a dog, his tail never stops wagging. <laughs> um, you know, he's the type of guy. Is, we're calling him a dog in a good way. In a good here. way, <laughs> right. you know, he's, he would be the type of dog who would come up and lick your face. You know, right. it's sort of uh, and not in a Brad Marchand way. We, we should be clear about that. <laughs> right. Um, in a good way, uh, he he is he is um, you know just the energy just radiates off him. Yeah. Um, you know, and you could see it in the way he plays the game. Uh, J.D. Martinez, no singles hitter himself, said, "Man, you know, when Chavis is up there, I feel bad for the baseballs <laughs> in batting practice because he puts a hurt on them." Yeah. And you can see it. I I think he has the five longest home runs for the Red Sox this season. Oh, he's got to be up there because you know when he hits them, you know. We're all wondering, well, how long was that one? I mean, they're out of the they're out of the park. You know, he hit a ball down the line the other night um, for a solo shot against the Rockies. I, I think that was on Tuesday. Yeah, uh, yeah. in the game, which I still don't lost. really know how they d- determined whether that was fair or foul because it was a mile above. They were guessing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe um, they have a laser beam that they shoot up in the air. You but. know, but on on Twitter, I joked and I said, "Chavis just hit one to Cask and Flagon." He <laughs> may well have. Yeah. It may well have hit Kaskin Flagon out in left field for all I know. Yeah. Um, you know, But for him to come through in that spot, a, a base hit up the middle in the 10th inning, uh, I think it was a 6-5 to five win. 5-4 to mm. four win, sorry. One, yeah. um, 
you know that that was important for them to to split that series against the Rockies because they did not deserve to lose both games right. the way that they played. Uh, you know, and just the the presence that he has in the lineup. Uh, you know, just sort of the the honesty that he has post game. Uh, he comes up at first and second. There's nobody out, and he's looking down at Carlos Fabulous at third base, and he's thinking, "Please don't give me the bunt sign. I, I want to hit." <laughs> right. And you know, a couple of us afterwards said, "Michael." There's no chance that they're going to have you bunt there. Did did you really think that? And he said, look, he said, I'm in this great lineup and I'm hitting seventh. So I don't know if I'm supposed to hit like, you know, Michael Chavis, I can hit the ball a mile. Or if I'm the seven hole guy, get it on the ground, move the guy over, try to get him in. So it, it just... It's just refreshing honesty and, and sort of like a youthful ignorance that, that he brings to the whole thing in the best way possible. I'm and sure I, if they I, gave him the bunt sign, he would bunt. He would have bunted. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's refreshing energy and it's youthful ignorance in the best way possible. Yeah. And I think that you know, he's had a really strong impact on this team. Oh, absolutely. So if you look at the numbers here, he's... Uh, He's uh, had 96 plate appearances, which is you know far fewer than the other uh, starters. Obviously, he mm-hmm. wasn't here uh, for the for the for the whole season. He's got seven home runs, 21 RBIs. He's hitting 296. He's got an on base of 406, and he's slugging 580 and an OPS of 986. These are not numbers you, you typically associate with a uh, a rookie. He's got as many home runs as Mookie Betts, two less RBI than Mookie Betts, and OPS 100 points higher. Yeah. than Mookie Betts at this point. So you tell me. You tell me how impactful he's been up there. Oh, he's, he's been fantastic. Absolutely. And, and and the way you describe him and a lot of other people describe him as a breath of fresh air is exactly right. And not that 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 uh, the uh, the Red Sox necessarily needed that, but you know it's such a veteran laden lineup. Now you've got this young kid with stars in his eyes and doing you know doing such a great job. It, it brings a a really nice, I think, um, new characteristic to that to that uh, to that team. Yeah, there was there's good energy there yeah. coming from him, and yeah. I think you look at this group coming off last season. There was great energy around that team throughout the year. It seemed like they could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alex Cora would would bench a starter. He'd put in a reserve, and that reserve would go three for four. Or he'd have someone make a spot start, and he'd throw six innings. You know, three hits, one run, and they'd win the game. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like it was such a, a perfect collection right. last year. You know, this year to start the season, the road trip being what it was, eleven games on the West Coast, they looked a little tired, and and they looked you know maybe a little stale. They were looking for a way to break out. They were in a bit of a malaise there. Right. Um, you know, and obviously the pitching has been a lot better. Certain guys in the lineup have gotten warmer. Uh, Mitch Moreland has given them a big lift mm-hmm. on the production side. Sure. Martinez and, and Betts have come out of you know what looked like sort of early season power outages, a little bit of a slump there the first couple weeks. They both look like themselves now. But this guy Chavis has been a spark. Mm. You know, and and something that this group probably needed to sort of drag itself into the season. And now they're in a nice routine. Right. And as you said off the top of the podcast, they're looking more like the team that we expected to see. Yeah, and you know, there is some truth to that 
to what uh, Alex Cora said uh, last week when he said the season starts on Friday. This is the the Friday after the White House visit because, you know, you had as you mentioned, you had the West Coast trip to start. You had the White House visit, and there was a lot of talk about you know who's going and who's not going. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, uh, the weather is not always forgiving in April and and May. Right. But here we are uh, looking at Memorial Day weekend here in the next you know ten days or whatever it is, and you know the Red Sox are are looking much more like the team we we remember and I think in a lot of ways Cora was right the season sort of did start on Friday all that other stuff kind of washed away they're over 500 they're back in the hunt and I think it's you know for me I think the American League East is going to shake out the way most people think it's going to shake out with the Red Sox and the Yankees battling for first place the Rays probably you know nipping at their heels but I think it's going to be Boston New York or New York Boston basically sure I I mean those are probably the two best teams and and the Rays you know the Rays are going to be annoying they're they're certainly going to take a few games off you because they're good yeah right yeah right but I I think that you know over the long run I think you're right I I think both of those teams are better uh they'll also have more ability to add someone before the trade deadline whether it be through absorbing a contract uh, or through moving prospects uh you know you look at Boston they went over the luxury tax last year I'm sure that they would do it again this year if they needed to add a player Mm. Tampa Bay doesn't necessarily have that luxury right Right. Uh, so <clears throat> let's hit on a couple of other things here. One is uh, Dustin Pedroia, who um, had another setback uh, in his rehab, um, is allegedly going to be joining the Paw Sox. Uh, the Paw Sox have confirmed that, actually. Okay, so Pedroia he will be, will be joining them. He will be with the Paw Sox uh, tonight on Friday. Um, now, whenever um, something happens with Pedroia now, you know, the chorus is, well, he's, he's, you know, he's done. And that's not exactly what Pedroia is saying. And, and why don't you fill us in when you had a chance to, uh, had a chance to uh, talk to Dustin about that? Well, he, he's painting this as, you know, just sort of restarting the clock. Uh, whenever you have a rehab assignment, you're given 20 days. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Portland. They did have some difficulties with the weather. Uh, he also was a late scratch on Saturday due to what they call minor left knee soreness, which is obviously the knee uh, on which he underwent the cartilage restoration procedure. Right. It's the knee that has kept him out of action for the better part of the last 19 months. Uh, has not been able to play regularly. The organization wants to see him play at least three games in a row. He hasn't been able to do that. Um, they're obviously not going to play him in adverse conditions, right. whether it be rain or cold or whatever else, because they don't want to risk a setback. Uh, but in Pedroia's case, he, he still feels like he's going to get to a point where he can get on the field and help this team. Um, now, the fan reaction to that has been one of anger, frustration, um, dismissiveness, I think you could say. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I, you know, it, it's kind of sad to see, considering what Pedroia has given the organization, at the same time, I can sort of understand it for a few reasons. Well, uh, you know, I think I think one of the reasons is probably the emergence of Michael Chavis because now you have a legitimate alternative to Pedroia. You know, it was one thing as we said, you know, earlier this year on the podcast. It was one thing if you just had Pedroia and Eduardo Nunez and Brock Holt, and you know, you kind of had this rotating crew of mediocre guys who were, you know, versatile and bring, you know, certainly bring value, but nobody brings the kind of value that Chavis has brought so far, certainly offensively. And so now I think, you know, the question is well, if Pedroia is healthy, what do you do? Do you sit 
Chavis? Well, if you you can't sit Chavis. Right. So do you bow down and and find another spot for Pedroia? And I, you know, I think in some ways the fan reaction here is uh, is justified. You know, I think that Pedroia has had a long, distinguished, very good career with Boston. Mm-hmm. He was an MVP. He was a Rookie of the Year, I believe. He was. Uh, he helped them win uh, a championship. Um, but it's been a couple of years since he's been a productive player, and you know, until we see him out there, I don't, you know, for a, a stretch of at least a week or two, at producing at a at a at a high level, I'm not sure people are going to be banging the drum to get Pedroia back in the lineup. You you hit the nail on the head there. Chavis isn't just a run of the mill one year veteran signing. This was your top position player prospect, yeah, who has come through. Uh, someone who you know, this team is is full of homegrown players, especially position players. Um, But a lot of those guys came through, whether it be two, three, four years ago. There hasn't really been anyone recent. He's the first guy who you've sort of brought up over the last couple seasons and said, here he is. Here's the guy. Here's someone you've heard about for a long time who was a first-round pick, who has this unbelievable power, who's going to be able to come in and and play and hit toward the middle of the lineup. And he's done that. Uh, So you're worried about if Pedroia is going to cut into his playing time. Now, personally, I think... The Red Sox are going to ride this with Chavis for as long as they can, mm-hmm. and I don't think you have anything to worry about there. He would take it bats away from Steve Pierce at first base. He could take it bats away from Nunez at third base uh, on occasions where Moreland and Devers sit. Right. He could also DH when Martinez plays the outfield, right, right. and you could Benintendi or Bradley a day <clears> off. <throat> so he's going to be in the lineup. I don't think you have to worry about that. There are a couple other things at play with Pedroia. I think people look back to that incident in Baltimore a couple of years ago when there was the exchange of, of pitches thrown, you know, at or the, behind the hitters. Manny Machado deal, the Manny yeah. Machado nonsense, yeah. where Pedroia said, "It's not me, it's them," and he right. was captured on camera saying that. Yep. And a lot of folks interpreted that as Pedroia breaking ranks with the Red Sox mm-hmm. and sort of separating himself from his teammates, from the coaching staff. Um, and that wasn't taken kindly to by you know a lot of folks around here, whether it was misinterpreted or you know whatever the origins of that were. <clears throat> mm-hmm. The way that it played out was that a lot of folks turned their anger on Pedroia and saw him as as a traitor, for lack of a better term. Right, right. Um, you know, uh, in in talking about Pedroia, one, one point that I heard this week uh, on one of the uh, radio stations I thought was a good one, and that is that you know the Red Sox didn't go out in the off season and decide, you know what. Second base, it might be a problem. We're going to sign somebody. Right. You know, they said, well, we're just going to sort of see how it goes with Pedroia, and we have, you know, Brock Holt, and we have Eduardo Nunez. But what that did was it created an opening for Michael Chavis, because mm-hmm. if they did go out and sign somebody and say, hey, well, listen, we're, we're going to rely on you be, to be the second baseman because we don't think Pedroia can play, then you probably wouldn't see Chavis this year. Right. And... Um, you know that's why I think it's it's such a nice fre- uh, fresh, uh, f- uh, breath of fresh air because he's here sooner than anybody expected him to be. Absolutely. Um, you know, so in one way, they did the right thing by not doing the right thing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They could have brought Ian Kinsler back or, on yeah. a one-year deal. They they could have you know they could have signed Daniel Murphy or somebody like somebody, that. Right. Somebody who would have held down the position on a more consistent basis. Yeah. You know? Right. But they didn't do it. And I yeah. I think the last aspect of this, and this is a little bit out of left field. Who's the most popular team in this market right now? Right now? Yeah. Today? Yeah. Well, it would be the Boston Bruins today. Well, today, sure. <laughs> but just in general. Generally, it's generally it's the New England Patriots. It's the Patriots. Yeah. Okay. So the way that the Patriots conduct their business, as allowed by the NFL, yeah. under their salary rules, how often do you see guys with the Patriots who are done? 
who are past their prime, who are on the 17th hole. Yeah, very, very rarely. It doesn't happen. Right. Because the salary structure in the NFL being what it is, the contracts aren't guaranteed, you release the player, you spread out the signing bonus and the guaranteed money, you get rid of the base salary, and the player comes off your cap and you never see him again. Right. Bill Belichick has moved on everyone, yeah. with the exception of Tom Brady. He forced Teddy Bruschi into retirement, Troy Brown into retirement, mm-hmm. he traded Richard Seymour, he traded Logan Mankins. We could go on and on sure. and on down the sure. list. Yeah. Different sport, different rules. Baseball, guaranteed contracts for the life of the deal. Mm-hmm. Because Pedroia has the rest of this year and two years left, the Red Sox cannot move on from him. Well, they can, but but they would just eat a, a whole ton of money. They're not going to release him. Right. He's not going to retire. And so I think a lot of folks, having watched the Patriots' culture yeah. of sort of moving on from players and being allowed to right. by right. the NFL salary structure, mm-hmm. I think that they're inherently frustrated that the Red Sox can't do the same thing with Pedroia, that they can't just disappear him. That they won't just cut him and eat the money yeah. and get rid of what they perceive as a sideshow. And so I think there's a lot of impatience in that way among fans who obviously are from this region and root for both teams. I think you're seeing that contribute to part of the frustration and part of the anger here right, as well. Right. There's an old saying that uh, some uh, old sports editor uh, said. Uh, he said that you know baseball is socialism and football is capitalism Mm. (laughs) but you know we shouldn't uh forget the fact that the red sox made their own bed here they're the one that signed they're the ones who signed pedroia to this deal way back when and i think at the time that the uh you know most people expected you know there might be a year or two here at the end where pedroia is kind of like dead money but i don't think they expected four years of that half the contract right it was an eight-year deal right absolutely and and i think that uh, ultimately does play into the fans' frustration because, you know, last year was essentially a, a wa- I mean, he didn't play. He played three games. Right. And this year, he's really been a non-factor. Uh, and you're right. You got two more years of him on the books. And I'm not sure how many financial planners would say, hey, you should retire and give up millions and millions of dollars. Nobody's going to do that because, you know, this is it for him. He's done. That's right. You know, so I'm, I'm sure he, he's going to hang on uh you know, as much as long as he can, if if he truly believes he'll, he'll be able to play. Now, if at some point the knee really gives out and a doctor says, "Look, you just you can't do it anymore," well, that's a different story. You know, and the organization <clears throat> has ways of avoiding this as well, too. Um, you know, you could move the goalposts on his rehab. That's true. He's playing three days in a row. Right. He can reach that. Yeah. All right. We want to see you play four play, days in a row. Play five in a row. Right. We want to see you play a day game after a night game. Yeah. We want to see you play after a travel day. Sure. They could slow walk this in perpetuity. Now, the player has some input in terms of when he'd like to be activated or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pedroia, as a veteran, could go to them and say, I'm ready now. Activate me or right. release me. Right. Um, but the organization, if they wanted to be a little underhanded <laughs> about this and, and a little unscrupulous, <clears throat> Uh, they could slow walk this in, in a way, um, you know, because I'm sure that there are some folks within the organization. They never say this, but I'm sure that there are some folks there who wonder if he's ever going to be able to play. Again. Sure, Absolutely. and who and who know damn well he's not going to be pain free at any point. Right. They know that he's going to play three or four games in a row and play a day game after a night game and go to the trainer and say my knee's sore. Right. Right. I can't play today. They'll shut him down. They'll start his rehab clock again, and it will start all over. And that that would be a way of keeping him 
you know, holding him back in perpetuity. Now that would be a dirty thing to do to well, a guy if, who is who has given you great service over the course of time. It would be a dirty thing too. And the other thing is, it doesn't give them any financial relief. Not at all. They're still paying that contract, which means that that they have less money to go sign somebody else, or you know, they, they're going to go over the, the the luxury tax threshold because they've they've got to pay Pedroia's, uh, you know. Uh, contract, so you know it's a tough situation because it really is kind of the onus is really on the player at this point to say I can't do it anymore, and you know I'm not in his head, and I can't say that he truly believes he can or can't do it. I think he believes he can, right? You know. Uh, so uh, besides Pedroia, there are a couple of other uh, Red Sox uh, starters or Red Sox players who are going to be down in Pawtucket. Uh, on rehabs, and one is uh, Brock Holt, and the other is Brian Johnson, I believe. So if you are uh, wondering about when is a good time to go see the Paw Sox, this weekend might be a good time. Yeah, uh, Brock Holt has been in the lineup a couple times here. Brian Johnson pitched the other night. Uh, I think he's on target maybe to start on Monday Mm. and throw three or four innings. So you've got three guys who you know, with legitimate Boston ties who who are going to be here through this weekend series with the Paw Sox. Um, Not sure what the timelines are for any of them in terms of being activated to Boston. Uh, you know, I would imagine that uh, they'd like to get Brock Holt back at some point here just to have a utility guy. Sure. Uh, with Zouay Lin on the injured list, um, you know, it's sort of looking like a long-term thing with, with the bone bruise and, and the sprained MCL in his knee. Uh, that's going to take him some time, and they really don't have uh, a player like Holt, like Lin on the roster who can not only – take up a couple infield spots, but could also play a corner outfield spot in a pinch. Um, you know, So you'd like to get Holt back. You're looking at Johnson in terms of just building up his innings a little bit. You know, you'd probably like to see him get to the point where he's comfortable either making a spot start or going two or three innings in relief out of the bullpen. Uh, you have some guys in Boston right now who would be natural option candidates, whether it's Josh Smith or Ryan Weber. Um, you know, so you're going to have some roster spots to, right. to play with here. Uh, you've also got Sandy Leone right now, who's on the paternity list. Uh, they called up Oscar Hernandez. He's going to be there at least through the weekend. You probably mm-hmm. figure two or three days. Uh, I wouldn't expect Leone to, to miss the plane to Toronto uh, for the series starting on Monday. Um, you know, so you're, you're going to have some roster moves here coming up in, in the next week. And, you know, most importantly, just like with Pedroia, you just want to see Holt play two or three days in a row and, and have no pain in his shoulder. Uh, and you want to see Johnson take the ball, go out there two or three times with with no setbacks in his elbow. Yeah, but both of those guys bring so much versatility and value to the team, especially Johnson. You can have him as a long relief guy, a spot starter guy. Uh, he can save the bullpen on, on days uh, when the uh, the starter uh, you know gives it up. Uh, and next week uh, there'll be another uh, returning player, uh, hopefully, and that's David Price when they're in Toronto. Correct? He's on target to uh, make his next start in Toronto. He's actually supposed to throw a bullpen on Friday, yep. uh, and if there's no setbacks there, and, and he says his elbow is okay. Um, you know, he'll be back uh, starting against the Blue Jays in a place where he's been very successful at Rogers Center. 17 starts in his career. He's 12-1. and one. Wow. It's a place that he likes. Uh, he said in the past that he likes the mound there. Hmm. People would think that mounds and, and backdrops yeah, and everything uniform, are uniform. Right? They're not. Hmm. Uh, it changes everywhere. He feels very comfortable there. And, and Alex Cora said that uh, he liked the fact that Price would be starting in a dome in a controlled environment. Right. Uh, you know, his last outing was in Chicago on a miserable night against the White Sox. Right. Cold, misting. Right. Um, the weather here has been awful. Obviously, yeah. he he. You know, they flirted with the idea of maybe him starting against the Astros. 
uh, but they decided to to kick it forward. And his next two starts, depending on his timing against Toronto, if it's Monday or Tuesday, he could start again in a dome at Houston next weekend. It, it figures that the roof would probably be closed at Minute Maid Park. You you would imagine that it's warming up a bit in Texas. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you could have Price, you know, making two straight starts in controlled environments and you know sort of working his way back into the rotation and uh, what's the word on nate uh valdi has been out there playing catch uh, hasn't actually thrown yet um you know he, he eventually he's going to build up to some bullpen sessions i would imagine uh not sure you know what they're going to do in terms of a rehab assignment maybe later on i i got to think that you know they're looking at about a month from now for mm-hmm. him probably wow. in the middle of june um, you know, just to build himself up and, and get him to a place where he's at full strength, he can take the ball and go out there and be the workhorse that they know he is. Uh, well, they're going to need all of these uh, these guys uh, sooner rather than later because they're hitting uh, quite a stretch of the schedule here. Um, I believe they have 33 games or something like that in, in 33 days coming up. Now, they do have an off day in there, but there's there's a double header in there as well. So they're going to be, and you're going to be, pretty busy here over the next <laughs> over the next month. Now, the, the season will start properly, as, as Alex Cora said after the White House visit. The season starts Friday, and, and it continues here. Uh, you know, now we're into the grind portion. Right. of things uh it's going to be a day night doubleheader with the rays i think on june 8th to make up for a postponement here at fenway mm-hmm. um there is only one day off over the next 33 days so this is the perfect time particularly with the pitchers to have these guys coming back off right. the il you you want this staff to be full you're going to need multiple inning options coming out of that bullpen you're going to need starters going five six seven innings um, otherwise, you're going to find yourself underwater a little bit and, and you know, maybe scuffling uh, toward the end of June to sort of find some innings and, and keep some guys fresh. Right. That's that's the danger when you, when you hit such a long stretch like this. You don't have a breather and, and you know, you have a, a game or two where the bullpen blows, uh, where the starters blow up and the bullpen has to be out there for four, five, six innings, you know, and you're looking ahead and you're like, well, who's going to pitch tomorrow? Who's going to pitch the next day? So uh, it would be great if they had somebody like Brian Johnson back back on staff and Nathan Avaldi eventually back and certainly Price. Well, you, Otherwise, you're going to be running up the Paw Sox here. Well, and you, you'd bump Hes- uh, Hector Velasquez into the bullpen again. Right. Um, right. You know, it, whether Price and, and Avaldi and anyone else take that rotation spot, uh, you know, he's a guy who's proven capable of giving you two or three innings at a time. Sure, sure. Uh, so uh, hopefully here, Bill, uh, when we do this again, the Red Sox will be closer to the, uh, closer to the top of the American League East. Uh, they see the Yankees not too long, uh, not too long from now. I want to say end of this month, right? Uh, I think the last two days of May and the first two days of June, they have a four-game series in the Bronx. So that that Yankees uh, series may uh, the Yankees may actually resemble more more of the Yankees in that series they, than, than they have been. Yeah, you know, depending on on you know some of the shorter term guys that they get back, they could they've activated Aaron Hicks yep. off the IL, but they just announced this week that Miguel Andujar is going to have season ending surgery right. to repair a, a labrum tear in his shoulder. Uh, so he's a, I think he's a significant loss for them, sure. uh, just from the standpoint that you know he's not a great defender, and and they sort of had him shoehorned in there at third base. Mm. But a guy who pushed thirty home runs as a rookie last year, an impact bat in the lineup, uh, you know somebody who I thought. You know, especially hitting in that lineup, hitting seventh or eighth, and yeah. hitting thirty home runs, uh, just adds tremendous depth to that offense. Uh, you know, those guys are not short on power to begin with. 
so uh, we'll do this again in a week. And uh, my predict- I'm, I've been doing pretty good with the predictions. You have, that, actually. Right? So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that by the time we do this next time, the Red Sox will be in second place in the American League East. Okay. I mean, it's not that far off, but... Who will be in first? I think the Yankees will will be in first. So the Red Sox will have overtaken Tampa. I think so. I think Tampa's going to start to fall here. Two weeks. Well, did I say the next time we do this? It might not be the next time we do this. It might be two weeks, but I think think Tampa's... I think the shine is coming off Tampa a little bit, so... A little bit. So uh, we'll see. Well, now let, let's go back over your two predictions on right. the last two podcasts. You the 500. Predicted, you predicted the Red Sox would be at 500. You were right. correct. Yeah. You predicted that there would be calls to shut down Chris Sale. <laughs> well, I don't know. If, maybe that. Maybe that. That's a little you bit of a stretch. You might be correct about that, too. <laughs> if, if he goes out there at his next start and strikes out 17, people will say, save him to September. Right. right. Absolutely. It's coming. It's definitely coming. Because, right. you know, it, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take much with, uh, with Red Sox fans. But anyway, we'll be here to talk about it. Bill, thanks again as always. You got it, Bill.